Well, good morning and welcome. We're glad that you're here uh, with us today. We're going to continue in our study of the book of Romans, and I don't know if you've, if you've been here week by week, you know that the, the news or the information that we've been getting from Paul up to this point is pretty dismal. He describes things that are um, telling us really why the world is the way it is, why people are the way they are, sometimes stinkers and, and uh, sometimes worse. And all of the problems that we see swirling around us, uh, Paul is going to answer those questions. And one thing that he says uh, from the get-go is God did not create the world this way. The way it is now is because of us. Now, I know that's hard for us to take in. We think, well, if he's sovereign, if he's omnipotent, if he's all-knowing and all this... Uh, well, that's all true, and that's another discussion. And if you ever have questions about it, we're happy to talk about that. But God didn't invent tanks and bombs and nuclear weapons and scourges and whips, and He certainly didn't invent a cross. But here we are. And from the beginning, from Genesis chapter 3, people have been pushing off of themselves their culpability for sin. And Paul's not going to stand for it. He comes in hard and he comes in strong against sin. And so those are the first three chapters. In fact, most scholars and commentators break out uh, Romans 1 through, actually from verse 18 going forward, 18 through 320, which we did last week. That section is meant to hang together. Unfortunately, we'd be here for hours on end if we tried to take that large of a piece of Scripture and look at it. But I do hope that you will take time and look at that, that whole stream of thought from chapter 1, verse 18, up to 3, verse 20, before you read what we're going to read here in a moment. Because when you read 321 through 31, you step through a door into a whole nother world. A world that is filled with hope, with light, with good news, with gospel truth. It is powerful. It harkens back to verse 16 and 17 of chapter 1. It is the power of God for salvation. And salvation was not merely getting you to heaven. Salvation was to cover every aspect of your life, both here, now, and then, there. Whatever the future is, we don't know a lot about it, but we know whatever it is, it is going to be apprehended by faith. God is asking you to reach out and trust Him. And so, uh, let's read these verses. They're printed in your bulletin in the New Living Translation that we've been using. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll read it now. Hear the Word of God. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the laws was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. 
This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for He was looking ahead and including them in what He would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate His righteousness, for He Himself is fair and just, and He makes sinners right in His sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't He also the God of the Gentiles? Of course He is. There is only one God, and He makes people right with Himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does that mean we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when you have faith do we truly fulfill the law. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's get going here. And I want you to think deeply with me about what he just said. And I know it's hard here in church. I'll try to explain a little bit. But Paul has just ushered us through a door into a world that's not new. The Old Testament, we will see, in fact, in the next chapter 4, when he describes the faith of our father Abraham, how he ties all of eternity together in these verses 21 through 31. He's telling us this is the way it always was supposed to be. It's never been any other way. People have never been able to justify themselves before God or even make themselves acceptable to God any other way than trusting Him. Think about Genesis 3. God told Adam and Eve, this world is for you. Go out, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth All the fruit on the trees is for you. Just don't eat that one tree. Leave that one alone. All he was asking for is for them to trust him. And the first thing they do is distrust him in favor of the serpent, which plunged our world. Now, you may think that's a fantasy, and I can't help that. Again, that's another another sermon or Bible study or something about the devil and the serpent and all of that. But Paul is tying this world to that one event. He did it in chapter 1, 18 through 32, and he's doing it throughout the the three chapters we read, and now he's taking everybody, Jew and Gentile, all people, and he's ushering us through a door into another world. Now, I'm not going to look at every verse in this passage today. We're going to do that over the next few weeks. But I want to talk to you today about one thing, just one thing in this verse that is near and dear to my heart. And that is, what is faith? He's asking us to believe Him and to move through this door into this new life by faith. And sadly, the church and people and, I don't know, every sometimes theologians, it doesn't matter. They destroy and distort the meaning of faith. 
And I have no doubt that many, if not most of us in this room, have wrong ideas about what faith is. When I got, uh, became a Christian, I was 18 and and uh, never had been in a Protestant church. I knew nothing about Protestantism. We went to the Orthodox Church, and Marty V was raised in the Catholic Church. And then, you know, we get ushered into this Protestant world and hear about grace and all this other thing. But unfortunately, the churches that we first went into were horrible churches, heretical churches, but they represented what most of American Christianity and most of the world believes about faith. And I'm going to tell you it's wrong. And I'm not doing that on my authority because I'm so smart. But I can read and I read my Bible and I know what it says faith is. And I know what the Old Testament said faith was. And so there's no question about what it is. What we do with it is a mess. A hot mess, as Dawson tells me all the time. That's really a cool saying, a hot mess. It's better than a mess. It's a hot mess. Whatever that means, I don't know, because I'm another generation. We would have said it was groovy or some stupid thing like that. This is what they say. These word faith preachers, uh, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagan, Charles Capps, I mean, you name them. Paula White, the advisor to President Trump. These people are nutty. And they have the worst theology in the world. I make no apology saying that. But we have to call it out. Here's what they say faith. Here's how they define faith. Faith is a force. And words are the container of the force. And so as you speak these words, you can create your own reality. That is pure heresy. There's nothing about it that is orthodox in Christianity. Nothing. And yet we gobble it up. And why do we gobble it up? Because it gives us control. It lets us say to God and to the tree of life, I don't need you. I can create my own reality. What do you think Adam and Eve did in the, anyway? What do you think has been going on in this world anyway? That's all it is, folks. It's not hard. It's simple. Faith is a force. Words are the containers of the force. And through the force of faith, one can create his or her own reality. That's every, all the biggest churches in the country, they would stand up and cheer for that verse. But all that verse tells, or that, not that verse, but that saying. And all that saying does is tell you and I, put your faith in your faith. So that your whole life, now they would never say this, but they're saying it. They can't help but say it because this is in their writings and in their preaching and everything else. What they're saying is, put your faith in your faith instead of putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Now Paul is going to get into some really thick weeds of theology. I love it to death. I can't get enough of it. We're going to be talking about things like justification, righteousness. Uh, We're going to be talking more about faith because he goes into a lot of detail about faith, uh, about our old nature, our new nature. What you know? How how come we're still even after we come to Jesus, we still struggle and fight with sin? 
Uh, what did Jesus do? I mean, what, did he just come and die, or was there more to what he did than just dying on a cross and rising from the dead? And all of those things are powerful theological subjects. He introduces most of them here in these few verses, but I'm just going to concentrate on faith today. Here is what, uh, or how we tend to look at faith. And if this is you, it's okay. I, I struggle with it to this day. And I have to remind myself constantly of what true faith is, and you will too. It's just something that's just going to dawn on you, and then you're good to go from then on. You're going to have to struggle with it every day, and it's difficult sometimes. Faith is not a subjective feeling. You know what I mean by subjective. is It's just coming from us. It's, it's some, some power in us, a confidence or a willpower in People in the church, Dawson's heard it, I've heard it, all of our elders have heard it, and you've probably, we have all said it at one time, I need more faith. I need better faith. I need something. It's just not working for me. And all of that goes back to this idea that faith is something you have subjectively. A feeling. A willpower. An ability for you to take your faith, wherever it's hidden, I don't know where it is, but whip it out and Put it out there and get a hold of something and draw it back to you. It's something that you have. Something you wield. Something you do. Believe. Trust. Have faith. You. And what does it become? It becomes a work. It becomes birds. It wears us down. And Christianity can seem like the worst possible religion in the world. You're asking me to believe. I just can't. There's some things I can't believe. I just don't get it. Because we're trying to feel something instead of looking away from ourselves to something else. And this is what Paul is asking us to do right out of the gate, right from the get-go. But now, magnificent words, in the, you don't even need a Greek translation for that. But now, we see something. Glorious words. I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah, I've told you about bumper sticker theology. This is how most people get their theology is from the bumper sticker. Here's one that I love. God said it. Go ahead. I believe it. That settles it. Let's all say it together. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. That's poo-poo. All right. Here's a better way, and some of you have heard, we've talked about this before. God said it, that settles it. I believe it. The first one puts all the onus on you. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And next day, you get a notice from the bank that you're overdrawn, and everything crumbles. Because it's all about you, all about your faith. God said it. I believe it. Big deal. You believe the moon is made of cheese? Doesn't make it cheese. We believe all kinds of stupid things. 
We listen to things on TV and radio and social media now that are stupid and ridiculous, and we pour all our confidence into that. doesn't make it true. I could believe all day, all week, all for the rest of my life that Jesus rose from the dead. And if He didn't rise from the dead, then what good is my belief? What does it mean? Nothing. It's just me. So what is faith? What is biblical faith? And we'll, let me give you a few scriptures. We'll talk a little bit about it. I apologize for my voice. Um, but here's the biblical definition. Faith is not a force. Here's the biblical definition for faith from Hebrews chapter 11. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, we don't know, but they were influenced by the Apostle Paul to a great degree. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence, the conviction of things we cannot see. It's the assurance of something that we hope for, the proof or the evidence of something we do not see. In the world, in the world around us, hope is aligned with wishful thinking. We don't know all the possibilities, so we put our hope in something, and we wish that it would happen, we hope it will happen, but this is not how the authors of Scripture define hope. Hope is an absolute 100%, biblical hope, 100%, not even a chance it's not going to happen, it is for sure. Only thing is, it's in the future. And so what are you going to do as you look to that future and you think, gosh, is it wishful thinking? No. I believe that it's true. Well, your faith can't make it true. It has to already be true. And we'll look at that in a moment. But what you're doing is you're taking faith and you're tying it to something. And that something, listen carefully, that whatever it is, is giving the, the, the rope, the cord, the, whatever you're hanging on to, that connection between you and that thing, that thing is giving you its power. You don't give it power. It gives you power. You don't have anything. You're just, you're just hoping. But it's not wishful thinking. You have settled it in your mind that it's true. And what if it's not true? Well, I then believe the moon is made of cheese, for goodness sakes. But true faith is saying, no, it is true. He did rise from the dead. I know He did. How do you know? Because there's just too much evidence. And not only that, even if there was no evidence, I know because I can get down by the side of my bed and I can groan my heart out to God and I see Him feeling it, knowing it, being my Savior. Somebody came into time and reality for me as me. Someone who had doubts. Someone who was afraid. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not... It's nothing more. Faith is nothing more, folks, than you taking God at His word and saying, He said it. That settles it. I will trust Him, no matter what, no matter the cost. This doesn't matter anymore. You cross, 
the threshold from Romans chapter 3, verse 20 into this world that is beyond description. The Reformers were very helpful. You see, the Roman Catholic Church, sadly, and every other church and lots of Protestant churches, like I just said, turned faith into a commodity. And so, in the ancient church, you could prove your faith by sacrificing yourself or giving money or doing any number of things, beating yourself with a whip because you're so terrible and, and giving money and giving more money and money, money, money makes the world go round, right? I mean, you just, you come, you come, uh, how do you say it? Commodity, uh, how do you say it, Raul? Commodify, is that right? Commercialize, you mercenaryize. Whatever you do, you do that thing. You, you make it a commodity. Faith is a commodity. You need more faith. Come get more faith. Oh, we'll sell you some faith. And if you don't believe that's true, that was not just the Roman church, it was the Eastern church. And if you don't believe that, that, that it's that, it's in Protestantism too. Turn on your TV to any Christian channel after 10 o'clock at night and they'll tell you. And, and you can have it if you send me money. I don't, it's the greatest thing in the world. I can't believe that I'm here preaching this when I could be there preaching that. How cool. How wonderful. I could have a house in the Caribbean. And you'd like it for me to have a house in the Caribbean because it might be possible for you to have a house in the Caribbean, especially if you give more and put your faith to work. You see, your faith is just sitting there. It's not doing anything. You've got to put it to work. Send me a hundred dollars. What a, unbelievable. And we eat it up. I don't want anyone in this room to eat it up. Say no. no. Hey, good. I don't even, I didn't have to prompt you. No. Okay. The reformers were facing us, so here's what they did. Some of you are familiar with these terms, others maybe not. They said there are three aspects to biblical faith. One is noticia, one is ascensus, the other is fiducia. That true biblical faith has those three components present at all time. Noticia is information. Somebody comes to you and says the moon is made out of cheese. You check the information out. You say, I can't go there. But somebody else comes and says the moon is made out of rock. And you say, you know, I, I know they've been up there. And, you know, they didn't take bread and a knife and have cheese like uh, Wallace and Gromit. But they, they actually went and, and saw that it was a, a place with rocks. Okay. That's the information. Then there's what the reformers called a census, which is ascent. It's looking at the information. You've done your due diligence. You've checked it out. It makes sense to you. And so you say, you know, I believe that is true. I think that's true. But then you have to display fiducia because everybody gets noticia and a census, right? Everybody's willing to look out and say, you know, uh, the world is round uh, except for flat earth people. The world is a globe and or, or, you know, they have their standards by which they measure things. They can see it. They assent that it's true. But fiducia is where the rubber meets the road. Are you willing to bet your life on it? You see, D. James Kennedy used to, and I can't do it anymore because I'm too old and I'll fall, and you all will laugh and then you'll cry because I will kill myself. 
There's a chair. The chair is over a pit of fire, hell, burning, flames are licking up. Fiducia is this. I see the promises of God. I've heard it. I believe they're true. I'm going to get up here and I'm going to. Uh, You didn't think I could do it, an old man like this, right? I trust this chair. I trust it. I bet my life on it, even right now. All I'm doing, all I'm doing is trusting the chair. I've done my information, I've got my information, I've thought about it, I will trust it. Noticia, you've got a whole book of Noticia. You've got a lot of reasons to assent that that Noticia that's here in this book is true. And the question that every believer is asked every Sunday at Christ the King, will you what? Will you trust me? I don't want anything from you. I don't want your commodities. I don't want your stuff. I want you. Will you just look and will you trust me? Will you put your life in my hands or not? And look, when you do that, you know, it's not going to be Disneyland. It could be very rough. In fact, I can promise you, you're going to have some rough times. But at least you will have the anchor of your soul holding you during the times of storm when the wind is whipping that ship around. You have set your anchor down in a solid rock. Jesus said, build your house on rock, not on sand. That way when the, when the storms of life come, you don't get washed away. Your faith is only as good as the object or the person in which you are placing it. That's all. You're going to put your faith in me? God said to Israel. He said it to Adam and Eve in the garden. He said it to Noah when he started building the boat. He said it to Abraham. We're going to look at that in a few weeks. He said it to everybody in your Bible. All these characters, some of them were horrifically bad and some of them were okay, but I mean really, they weren't stellar. But all he wanted was, put your faith in me, will you? Will you trust me? Your faith is no good. I'm good. Me good, you not. Very simple. Trust me. Faith, uh, two more things real quickly. Faith is active and it is passive. Faith is active in that it is a choice that you are making. And unfortunately, Calvinisms, you know, Calvinists uh, break out in hives when we say the word choice, which you shouldn't, because you do have, you can make a choice. How all that works out in the eternal decrees of God, behind the scenes, predestination, election, all that good stuff, another time. But sitting right here, from our point of view, God is making us a good faith offer. He's saying, will you trust me? And it does require for you to reach out and trust Him. It requires that to get saved, and it requires that every day of your life. When you get up in the morning, you're either going to say, I trust you today, Lord, or you're going to think about it, or I don't know what people do. I get up in the morning, and when I take my first breath, I say, I'm ready to trust you. Wow, I can't believe I made it through that night. Right? I trust you again, and again, and again. Faith is active, it's ongoing. A woman who had suffered 12 years with a constant flow of blood, 
came up behind Jesus in a crowd, she said to herself, listen, she said to herself, if I just touch his robe, I will be well. She made a choice to go through the danger and score. I mean, she was unclean. If anybody had found out, it would have been trouble for her. If I just can touch his robe, I will be healed. Do you see it was nothing about her faith? It was all about that robe. And who was wearing it? If I can just get to him. His robe. Faith is active. It requires an appetite. You've got to say to yourself, I'm not going to make it without him. There's just no way. I've got to have you, Lord Jesus. I don't care what the world says about me. I want to touch your robe. I've got to have it. And so you move towards him. You do that to get saved, and you do that to be saved every day of your life. You turn, you repent, you believe the gospel, and you lay hold of him and trust him. Faith is also passive. Listen to this. This and we'll get, we'll get to Romans in a minute. Listen. Faith is passive. It's not only a choice. It's not only a decision to lay hold of something. It is also complete and utter rest and reliance. Trusting the faithfulness. Listen, the faithfulness of another. It's, it's something outside of you that gives, its, gives it its strength, its power, its substance. What we just read in Hebrews. Two blind men come to Jesus. And he says to them, what do you want? They say, we want you to cure our blindness. We want to see. And he says this, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord, we believe. What is it that they believe? You are able to do this. See, there were magicians on every corner in Israel. The world was filled with magicians in those days. There were healers everywhere, like today, nutty people. And people would give them money to get well. And they never got well. They come to Jesus and say, we believe that you can heal us. What are we talking about? You! So they, he touches them, they get healed, and then he says, according to your faith, be it unto you. Why? We want, to, we want so badly to, to, be, to be about our faith. Oh, wow, he just had the strength. They just had the courage to reach out. They just did something. No, it's nothing about you. Or there, it's, not, it's nothing about these blind men. They could have touched any number of people. They could have asked any number of people to heal their blindness. It wouldn't have happened. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, we believe you are able to do this. That's all the difference in the world. There is nothing like this. The onus is off of you and and the, the power that we're looking for in our lives is Him outside of us. So faith is passive. Do you believe I'm able to do this? The emphasis, if you were going to highlight something, it would be, do you believe I am able to do this? And when they answered the emphasis, the underline should be, we believe you are able to do this. Their faith brought nothing to it. All the power rested on Him. 
in Him, through Him, every bit of it. Now, folks, that, ought, that is really, really good news. So we've looked at what it's not, what it is, and let me finish with this. The faith that justified, that justifies, the faith that Paul is talking about right here in these magnificent verse, verses that is ushering us through a door into a whole new reality, not new uh, like it wasn't in the Old Testament, it was all the same. But we lost it. We lost it all. And we couldn't get it back. There was no way to get back into the garden because an angel was there with a flaming sword that would cut you to pieces if you went back or tried to get back. How in the world are you going to get back? Whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, no difference to me. We're all one people. We all depend on God. It's the only one God, all people. Gentiles, Jews, and whatever else is out there. How do you make it? Faithfulness in another. The faithfulness of another. Not 99%. You bring your 1%. No. It's 100% Him. It's no percent you. Your choice. And this is pure Calvinism, folks. Your choice is given to you as a gift. Now hear the words from our passage. Listen to this. If you don't believe what I've said, you will now. We have been made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ in something He did. This is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People made right with God when they believed Jesus sacrificed His life and shed His blood in something He did. Can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law, something we do. It is based on faith in something He did. We are made right with God through faith in something He did. Not by obeying the law, something we do. There is only one God who makes people right with Himself only by faith in something He did. Whether Jews or Gentiles, well then, if we emphasize faith in something He did, does this mean that we can forget about the law, something we do? He actually uses a Greek phrase, you know, the, the ume. <laughs> oh, no, no, never no. It's a double negative in Greek. It's the strongest way to say no. Ume. Of course not. In fact, listen to this. This will knock your head off. This is great. When we have faith in something He did, do we truly fulfill the law? Something we do. You see that, folks. All the weight. I don't know what kind of burdens y'all are under. I know what mine are and 
You probably have an idea what yours are. Every burden should be lifted right now. He took it off. You want to obey Him? Yes. Then go do it. You're free to do it. And you will be fulfilling the law that we could never do because He already did something for us. Something He did. So, listen to this. My favorite author. I tried to bring my book this morning, The Everlasting Righteousness by Horatius Bonar, but it's literally falling to pieces. I have it together with paper clips, and it's kind of funny, but I, I didn't want it to get destroyed. I will bring it. I want you to see it, because then you will say, "What this pastor we have, he is something else. <laughs> it's actually bad glue, uh, but I have read it a lot. And here's Horatius Bonar. Speaking of this verse, this concept, listen to what he says. Let these words, when I read them, I burst into tears and I still do. The strength or kind of faith is nowhere stated. The Holy Spirit has said nothing about quantity or quality on which so many dwell, that's us, on which so many dwell, and over which they stumble. The quality of my faith, the quantity of my faith, remaining all their days in darkness and uncertainty. No, faith is simply in believing, feeble as our faith may be, that we are invested with this righteousness. For faith is no work, nor merit, nor effort, but the cessation from all of these and the acceptance in place of them of what another has done, done completely and forever. The simplest, feeblest faith suffices for it is the excellence of our act of faith that does in, it is not the excellence of our faith that does anything for us but the excellence of him who suffered for sin the just for the unjust that he might bring us to god every every ounce of pressure is off of you to simply trust Him. Will you do it? I hope you will. Father, we thank You for Your kindness and Your glory and goodness to us. It's almost more than we can bear. And I pray, Holy Father, that You would lead us in our hearts by faith to trust the One, our Savior, who is worthy the excellence of His work, not ours, the excellence of His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension into glory and His seating at the right hand of You, our God, the excellence of His righteousness given to us. Help us, save us, and have mercy on us.
according to your grace. Amen.